You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Hi, I'm JR. I'm Mark. I'm Josh. And I'm Stephen. And the subject for tonight's episode is going to be the missing episodes. The whole saga from rumour to realisation and the future, I guess. Uh, before I go into that, though, I've got an email. I don't, does anybody mind if I do a quick email? Go ahead. Yeah, go for it. <clears throat> Because we tend to do emails on this, but when we have guests on, I tend to leave them. But I thought I'd do this one because it's quite amusing and I wanted to bring it up. It's from Al No, and it says, Dear and the boys and JR, I've listened further to the return of the episodes and was delighted to make a cameo appearance, my neighbours less so. Couple of things. I'm afraid I'm not Hulloporo, if that's how it's spelled. I'm not them, so I don't know. And humbly apologise for any inconvenience or discomfort my misidentification may have caused them. Also, their credit ratings probably just hit the armed response setting, so they may want to invest in some sandbags. <laughs> JR's suggestion for an alternative target title was unrepeatable this early in the evening, so I'll suggest that Earthshock should have been retitled to Doctor Who and the Attack of the Cybermen. There, everyone's happy except for Eric Sayward now. Oh, and I forgot to mention my third suggestion for animation. Strikes match. Wouldn't it be lovely if someone could do something about all those gaps in... Lights blue touch paper. Sharda retires to safe distance. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry about that. Thanks again. I'd better wipe down this wall now. Yours mischievously, Al. So there you go. He's we a did character. a podcast. Yeah. Ah, oh, I love Alno though. And it's never a never a chore to read one of his emails out, especially when he's talking about Sharda. <laughs> Very creative. Eric Sayward. Actually the subject of animation may come up later in this podcast. I suspect it probably will. Mm -hmm. But but first of all, well, I was going to my plan is kind of to do this podcast in four sections really which is kind of the four of us. Well, Mark and I have already talked about this, but we've not heard from Stephen and Josh yet about this. So, first of all, the return, the return of the episodes. Were you there at the time of the announcement? Had you heard whisperings beforehand? Did you know what was coming up? And how did you feel about it? Josh? Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, of course, uh, you hear whisperings everywhere. Um, you know, the forums were teeming at least at least until those threads were taken down, um, were teeming with uh, um, mm. interesting information around these things. Certainly the number of episodes was something that people weren't sure uh, at the time. Um, and uh, yeah, extremely excited. Uh, and yes, I was watching every moment as, as, it, came, as it came down and, and going to my Google site and trying to find any news I possibly could in regards to these missing episodes. And the funny thing was, even though we kind of had heard sort of within those hours, if not days leading up to it, 
what the episodes were going to be, you still needed to hear it officially just to make sure, didn't you? Oh, definitely. So, you know, obviously when there's smoke, there's fire, and uh, the smoke has been, you know, starting to become more fire as as the days went on. Um, so I, I started to believe a lot more as, you know, as the time went on. Uh, and uh, when, when I, I guess, I guess the real time for me was, believe it or not, when the Radio Times was reporting something. I think that that really started to get me going. It wasn't so much of uh, you know, some rag paper was bringing up a rumor or some, uh, dare I say, uh, internet sites bringing up rumors. Uh, it was, you know, credible, a credible journalistic uh, paper of some nature bringing up uh, uh, something that there must be something real here and it's not just rumor. There's a difference, actually, yeah, because you've gone back a bit further than I kind of meant to, but it doesn't matter because we would have got to this anyway. There is a big difference between, like, the Daily Mirror or the Spectator or whatever doing a splash story about 106 episodes and the Radio Times, which doesn't tend to do tabloid journalese, saying, right, there's something there. There's a huge difference, isn't there? Absolutely, absolutely. So when, when credible... Credible journal, journalistic, uh, um, whatever it is, you know, if it's newspaper, if it's internet, if it's credible, um, you know, you begin to start listening. Uh, there must be something here or else, you know, why would they be, why would it ever have passed the editor, right? And Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Stephen, how did you feel on the night of the announcement? Oh, um, I remember rushing home. I remember driving to work that day. I usually walk and take the bus, and I usually get home at after 5 o'clock my time, which is midnight in the UK. And I specifically drove with my computer uh, to work <laughs> uh, in the in the assumption that um, – actually, more of the surprise, because being in Canada, I just was not expecting uh, you know um, anything to be available for us immediately. immediately. And I, I, I probably – I didn't speed when I when I drove home, but I got home with about 15 minutes before midnight. I think I even got a. I think it was you, Jr., who messaged me on the way home. I checked it at the stoplight. It says apparently there's reports that people are already downloading this in North America. They, yeah, this, that's is right. me, me. this is not <laughs> helping me, Jr. This is not helping me. I'm on the road right now, and so I burst in uh, and set up my computer, and then just just looking at Twitter and and everything, and and. I clicked the link um, that I found for iTunes about 10 minutes before midnight UK time and was downloading and watched the first two minutes of uh, The Enemy of the World Part 1 before the announcement even came out. And I was just wow. like, I have to stop. That's cheating. I, oh, I wasn't cheating. I had to do it just to just to reaffirm with myself that, yes, this is actually happening, you know, because, I mean, uh, all I all of us have, have sort of been following this in one way or the other for the last wow, I think I first heard rumblings back in August of 2012. Um, mm. And I didn't start to hear serious stuff until um, uh, Chicago Spring Tardis. Time, maybe? Chicago Tardis was when I, my, fir- uh, my ears first perked up when I heard that there's going to be a direct mention of, uh, uh, or certainly a link to at the end of the Web of Fear at the end of the upcoming Christmas special, which of course was the Snowmen. And I thought, okay, whatever, I'll put that in the back burner. And then, of course, it turned out to be true. And then, and then, I, my alarm bell started going off, and I became much more wary of, of of clues and such. So, from that point to you know October 9th, 
Um, it was it was a long, steady buildup, but I even then I still didn't believe it. I had to watch the enemy of the world a little bit just to prove that okay, it's okay. You know, I almost felt like you know when I was watching the items download, if they could please down don't stop because I feel like this is the only copy in the world, right <laughs> now, and I have to save them. You know, it did feel so weird. It doesn't even feel real to me now, no. to be honest. The web of fear and the enemy of the world. Because let's face it, and we'll come to this later, this is going to be one of the segments later, we've all got the stories that we'd most like to see of the ones that are missing. But I think for pretty much everybody, you know, somewhere in that list is the web of fear. And the fact that there's the two Patrick Troughton roles in Enemy of the World also kind of even if people undervalued that story before it came back i think people were still aware of wanting to watch that too because of those two patrick troutons so the fact that it was those two stories was just astonishing really yeah and your heart starts beating you know it's the it's 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 the same feeling as you get when you're about to watch anything new you know or or even yeah. you know maybe even beyond that and it it just and Stephen, I was like you. I mean, when they start downloading, and I, I know I downloaded part one first, and I and and part two was coming next, but I couldn't wait. I had to, I had to start <laughs> part one to just make to make sure that it was real. It just did not seem real at all. Uh, so, what did you enjoy in the stories then, Josh? Because I think you're probably the only person on this podcast who's not kind of reviewed them yet. What did you think of the Enemy of the World? I loved Enemy of the World. I absolutely adored it, and it might be um, and and Web of Fear aside, which I also enjoyed, but Enemy of the World might be my favorite Patrick Troughton story. I mean, it it it, it was brilliant, and and the funny thing is when you, when you all you have is that part three, which the part three doesn't mean anything in that story. It's it's such a small port. It's it's the it's the stretch part of that story where they mm. had to stretch it out. Mm. The rest of the story is absolutely amazing. And Patrick Troughton, uh, you know, while I love Patrick Troughton and and have loved uh, his portrayal of the Doctor for years, I'm now seeing a lot more why people who say Patrick Troughton is their favorite, it's why because yeah. he was brilliant in Enemy of the World, brilliant in both of these roles and uh it just it, it opened my eyes i mean it was it was it was completely new for me and uh that's not a feeling i've had for doctor who and in, in many a year quite frankly and the enemy of the world was kind of the one that i think once the two stories were announced what they are what they were <clears throat> I think Enemy of the World very quickly became the one that more people were looking forward to seeing because they didn't know what to expect with it. Mm -hmm. Whereas with The Web of Fear, I think most people kind of expected what they were going to get. And although it probably lived up to those expectations, it didn't exceed them in the way The Enemy of the World did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Enemy oh, yeah. of the World was just, was just this curiosity for the <clears> most part. Um, you know, people, there was a double Troughton role and there was the, you know, confrontation at the end of episode six that everyone was just like, ooh, what, what is this thing like? And, and it had nowhere to go but up. Mm. Mark, yeah. out of Enemy of the World and Web of Fear, which one, which one for you was the, the, the big one? I think you summed it up when you said about people perhaps being more excited about Enemy of the World because they didn't know it quite so well. And I think you've mentioned this before on other stories about going in with lower expectations and being pleasantly surprised compared to going in you know, with you know this big 
Web is quite looms quite large in that era as a, a major story, and it does kind of set it up to potentially be disappointing. I, I enjoyed them both, but I think of the two, I think Enemy probably just shades it. I think you get more of a sense of Troughton's acting once you can actually see his facial expressions and just the little nuances that you miss from the recons. Um, and there's something about Enemy as well where you don't get, just because of the fact that he's playing two roles, but even just as the Doctor, there's a there's so much more evidence of his adaptability in the enemy of the world, really, isn't there? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the whole thing of, I think you said this when we did our initial review, where he's trying on Salamander for size, and you can see him gradually getting... And the, let's be honest, when he's playing Salamander, it's still kind of a little bit amusing. You know, it's not perhaps the most straight uh, evil guy you'll ever see on TV, <laughs> but... Um, you can see that sort of transition as he's trying to take on that role as he knows he's going to have to try and uh, infiltrate Salamander's regime. I think it's very cleverly done. Right. I suppose this is the tricky area of the podcast now. Anybody who's not a regular listener who's downloaded this podcast is going to be tuning in to see what we've got to say about the rumours, right? So we've got to deal with that and... Let's deal with it now rather than saving it for later. Let's talk about it now rather than making people wait. The rumours. It's just been insane. Um, I don't know. Josh, let's go back to when the rumours first broadly started to surface. And I think all four of us knew about the rumours prior to the Bleeding Cool article, which is what took them over ground. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know, Josh, do, do you remember when you first heard what what you felt about it, when you first heard that there may be episodes back and it might be more than just, you know, going back to 2011, we were all dead excited about just two random episodes. But this, whatever happened here, this was going to be more than that. Do you remember how you heard and how you felt? Yeah, I I don't remember the exact timing in which I started hearing more and more about it. Um, I know know Stephen and I have had discussions in the past uh, about it, um, and it it started me thinking about it. But, you know, I, I find it so hard to believe uh, that stories that are 45, 50 years old uh, are sitting in some basement yeah. somewhere. It's just, it's very, it's very difficult, you know, it, when you're looking at reality again, you know, I don't know what it's like in, you know, whatever part of Africa they'd be looking. I, I don't, I don't know, you know, how old everything is and how people have left things for so long that, I just I and and film also degrades. I mean it 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 becomes vinegar eventually. Um so I I found it very very difficult to believe that that these things existed somewhere. Um and you know I I still do. I mean as as much as we've found all this, I I still believe that it's it, I find it so hard to believe that it that it's out there somewhere. And And you know I got completely the opposite reaction when I first heard about this. My reaction was, well, thank God somebody's actually gone to look for them because I always assumed they were there. See, do you know what I mean? See, I, I thought that, and again, this is this is this is my lack of knowledge in this in, on this subject. But 
I thought over the last 30, 35 years that, that they had exhausted uh, all of the sources. And, and again, I mean, this is, this is one of those things where, you know, I just don't know enough. And I know the white book is out there, the white uh, by Richard Goldsworth. And I, I've been trying to get through it. It's very, very difficult for the average layperson to read through that book. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I've attempted it, certainly. But uh, but the, the fact of the matter is, JR and everybody else, it, it is, it's so hard to believe it, that nobody has, even up until now, um, you know, made the effort uh, that Philip Morris and his group has uh, to find these things because of... The, the value of these of these stories ha- has been has been out there for for many many years. There there is clear value of of these stories. So why haven't people Absolutely. been doing it uh, up until well, yeah. now? Well, they I think it was the Mirror actually announced some sales figures for the iTunes downloads for the first week, and you only had to do a little bit of math to see that those episodes made the BBC something like a quarter of a million pounds in that first week for nothing that they've they've produced. Yeah. In 45 mm-hmm. years. That's crazy money. Yeah. yeah. And although, obviously, I Apple and iTunes get a huge chunk of that, and obviously a lot of that also has to be paid out to actors and writers and people who worked on it, still the evidence is there that these episodes are going to make, you know, a fairly substantial amount of money for the BBC. And like you say, it's difficult to believe that these episodes have just been sitting there and the extent of the search to some of these places prior to Philip Morris going to actually look for them was a phone call or a letter or a fax saying, you know, we haven't got this stuff. Is there any chance you have? And I can only say that my first thought when I read about what Phil Morris had been up to was, well, it's no surprise because somebody who's working in a television station in, you know, the middle of Nigeria or somewhere, he's not going to go to some huge underground warehouse and look through all the shelves to see you know he's not going to spend hours a whole day perhaps before he answers the bbc's letter looking to see if this stuff actually is there he's just going to say no and they're going to have to take it on trust that he looked so you know my reaction was well i don't believe for one minute that all these episodes were destroyed when they were supposed to be because again that's going to an effort of finding the things and then taking them off somewhere to be destroyed i always believed that you know i have no idea how many but let's say a substantial number of doctor who episodes from the 1960s were somewhere in the world sitting on a shelf collecting dust and slowly turning to vinegar just waiting for somebody to turn up and rescue them before they were you know too far gone uh, Stephen, you're kind of our expert on this, as far as the podcast concerned. How, how did you feel about that when you first heard? What were your thoughts about the likelihood of it? Um, well, I I actually work at a TV station, and I, I actually um, order tapes, uh, videotapes for programs that we air on on the sh- on the station. I send them back and forth um, to the studios and everywhere else, so I can I can kind of attest to. Um, what the process would be like if somebody phoned me up. Um, like, a, for instance, right actually right now, the past two or three months, I've been trying to track down a tape that was erroneously uh, sent to a, um, a studio that was absolved by, or absorbed by another one, and that the whole stock of tapes moved somewhere else. I'm in the process of trying to figure this out, and I feel like, I feel like I'm Philip Morris right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
and I, and I'm unable to find it. And this is a this is a you know a two year old tape that has a, a tracking number on it, and I knew where I shipped it on what date, and um and it's difficult to find. So if, to hear about what uh, has been you know trying to find uh, dusty old documents if they even exist of where uh, of where stuff that was shipped around 45 years ago it's it's alarming to me that this is um this is actually turned up but i mean by, by the sound of it philip morris just went into that that station in in joss in nigeria and they were just sort of sitting there on the shelf you know i mean absolutely i, I imagine that obviously he just wasn't wandering by joss nigeria and just oh you know what i'm gonna pop into this station here and see what happens <laughs> Um, well, he was presumably working under the auspices of TIA at the time, TIEA, his company that I think he formed in 2007 or 8. It was 2011. Um, uh, that's one... when it became a limiting company, but I think it had already existed for a few years before that. Right. I, I, I might, If I understand it right. Yeah, I don't know what... Um... I know we're supposed to be addressing rumors. I don't want to step out of uh, out of place with what, what well, kind of format can, you have, JR. I think we can happily talk about things that are sort of factually known. Yeah, well, I mean, Phil, uh, Philip Morris is basically the greatest hero in Doctor Who history at this point. Um, Absolutely. Because, yeah. you know, and, and the thing is that back to my anecdote about finding a tape, you know, if someone was to phone me up, I basically, the first thing I do is look in the system and see if it's been shipped out or not. And if it says it has, then we don't have it, you know, because uh, I'll mm. trust the computer system. Um, uh, people, I imagine, on will look in their little look in their books from forty odd years ago for a handwritten card file or something that might say that it was sent off somewhere, or at least they don't have it. You know, they'll be looking for that card. Oh, I don't see a card. We probably don't have it. Sorry, that was it. You know, that's basically what the missing episode hunt was from nineteen seventy eight to to two thousand five. Um, and the amazing thing about that is, if because of the bicycling system, mm-hmm. and this is and this is what's made this whole missing episodes hunt really interesting, the bicycling system, the paperwork only goes so far. And if all these episodes had just been sent from the BBC to Station X, and then were either destroyed or sent back to the BBC, it would be so much simpler. But if it goes from Station X to Station Y to Station Z. If only one of those places along the way has mislaid the paperwork, lost the index card, as you put it, Mm -hmm. then the paperwork stops there, but the episode is carried on moving, and nobody knows where to. And then that's where somebody like Phil Morris comes in, who says, right, what's the most logical destination that it may have moved to? Let's try there. And if it's not there, what's the least the sort of next most logical explanation and we'll try there instead mm-hmm. and obviously by a trial of process and error <clears throat> a process of trial and error a trial of process and error <laughs> you know that's how he's found these episodes yeah and it's it, there's also been some research going on i mean this this it, it's been stated publicly so, so we can talk about this but uh paul vanessa said this in january of 2011 that the bfi and the BBC actually sort of co-sponsored this this hunt uh, mm. across uh, across Africa. Um, Project Africa, I think, is what the the official the official press release for yeah, the, by yeah. the BBC called it Pro- Project Africa. Um, that uh, basically Paul Vanessis and and Philip Morris were acting as agents, more or less, of those two companies, uh, along with the research of three or four others. 
um, to basically. In fact, we should probably name those because I think all due credit where it's definitely. Uh, you know, yeah, Richard Molesworth was yep. obviously important in that. Mm-hmm. And I think even Ian Levine threw in as much as he knew too, so he helped out as well, from what I gather. He Is did, that right? I, I, I'm actually not in this particular one. It was John Preddle who runs uh, broadcast.org oh, right. and uh, and Damien Shanahan as well, who's in Australia. He's the one who found the um, the censor clips back in 1996. Right. Um, uh, and so they, Paul um, said that they helped out as well. I um, wasn't sure I was going with this now, but no. I, oh, uh, it reminds me actually oh, sorry. Of, of the week. That's all right. The week after the uh, the episodes were announced, somebody found on 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 Paul Vanessa's own missing episodes forum that Philip Morris. It's almost like the beginning of a docudrama. This this forum thing oh, yeah. was amazing. Where Philip Morris posted, in, I think August of two thousand five. That what if we just went and actually checked out the the physical locations of these places and looked for tapes there? He said innocently enough, and a whole bunch of people shot him down. But over the course of the week that this thread carries on, one or two people, led by Ian Levine of all people, sort of go on and says, you know what, he's right, we should try to do this and everything. And I think Richard Bignall chimes in and says, okay, let's start working on this. And that was in 2005, you know? Because that was the thing prior to that, as much as people like Paul Venezes and Ian Levine and, you know, all the others had wanted to find these episodes, without a sort of properly organized search and a properly funded search, there is only so much you can do, isn't there? There is. I mean, it's... And I and I hope people realize that, that this is not just a case of, of Philip Morris phoning up... Um, of station in Nigeria and saying, Hey, have you got episodes? I'm coming down to collect them. This is, it's been since 2005 that this thing has been, uh, you know, hinted at. And we were only seeing the, the results of this in, in, you know, 2013, eight years later, the entire duration of the new series of Dr. Who basically has happened in between the, the genesis of this idea and, and it coming to fruition right now. Um, but yeah, um, it's, you know, it it takes, a, they have to they have to know that there's going to be something there to be found. Otherwise, I don't think they could have gone to the BBC or the BFI and say, "Hey, just give us some money to go to Africa, uh, and we'll hope to find something." I think they probably had an inkling based on the research that, that as you said, Jr., there there might be places that you know where these things exist still. And indeed, even in that very first message on that forum, or one of the very early messages on that forum, Phil Morris said that because because he was living and working in Africa at the time, and he said he had been able to visit stations, and he'd seen the kind of conditions and the kind of way the stations were kept. And he said even then that he was pretty sure, if not necessarily material that the BBC or that the UK were looking for, he was said he was pretty sure that there was old material just sitting there that was collecting dust and that nobody really knew what it was. And he said even then it only needed for somebody to go in and properly be able to look at it you know fully either somebody who is fully accredited or fully with the permission of the station involved obviously but he said somebody needs to go in and find out what all these things are didn't he Mm -hmm. he did and 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 i don't know where this comes i mean it's going back to the philip morris being a hero thing uh he was still working at his at his oil rig job um going to around various different offshore oil rigs Mm. and in june of 2006 at uh at a a stop in an offshore uh, rig in nigeria him and eight other co-workers were kidnapped and held at gunpoint for two days uh until a ransom was paid um by, I don't know who paid the, is it the Nigerian it was, government or was it his company? I think company? it was, yeah. Okay. 
I think it was the government who stepped in and sorted it out, uh, from what I gather. Mm-hmm. Not 100% on that. But, no, uh, I can't remember who paid the ransom, but, but it, it, um, Phil Morris himself was sort of given a pretty large uh, settlement package from, from his, his company that he worked at, uh, which sort of allowed him a little more breathing room. And it, it, it's, I shouldn't say amusing yeah. because it was a horrendous <clears throat> experience for Philip Morris, but, but you know, yeah, it, it, that might have been the impetus to actually give him the capital <laughs> to, to, to start looking into this project, and you know? Certainly, yeah, in, in, it both made his job harder. Because obviously that's a very troubling experience and not something you'd want to risk repeating. No. And in order to do the search, that's a risk he was taking, undertaking. But then, of course, at the same time, because he wasn't working on the oil rigs anymore, he was then free to establish TIA as a company, as he eventually did, but also free to devote the time to actually undertaking the search, which is the important thing. <laughs> for, for we Doctor Who fans, but he for, was, yes, right, yeah, yes. he was he was even quoted, I think, on a, on an article on a local um, England paper in t- uh, February two thousand seven, I think, about how he swore he was never going back to Nigeria again, and yet mm. he obviously went against his own wishes, his own brain, saying no, stay away from this situation to gather um, uh, tapes, and and even then there was huge religious uh, riots going on at the time. That he uh, you mentioned this in the Doctor Who magazine article. Even today, I see scrolling across the news there was a, there was a massive um, uh, killing at a, a Nigerian wedding that killed thirty people. Today, as we record this, you know, it's these are not safe places to go into, no. and and he's gone into them to look for missing episodes of a television show. You know. It sounds ridiculous, then, but we're we're entirely grateful. Oh, it's astonishing that, that, that somebody. Oh, yeah, sorry, but that somebody would be prepared to lay because this is literally what he's done. He's laid his life on the line in order to try and you know find and repatriate episodes of a television program mm-hmm. just for ostensibly a few thousand, a few tens of thousand people to enjoy. It's astonishing. <clears throat> Mark, Josh, <laughs> you kind of been left a bit behind there. But yes, what Phil Morris has done is amazing, isn't it? It is. I mean, the guy has got, frankly, balls of steel. You know, if I'd been through a fraction of what he's had to go through, I don't think you'd get me within a thousand miles of the place, but uh, fair play to him for, for going back and doing it. Um, I mean, I remember hearing Stephen interview Richard Molesworth on Radio Free Scaro about, I think that must have been when his uh, wiped book first came out. And uh, I, well, I'd never truly given up, but I mean, he recounted a story there, which kind of made my heart sink about um, having a whole bunch of episodes that were missing uh, in some place in Africa. They got bombed during some sort of civil war and they just all completely gone. Um, so although I wanted to believe it, my sort of hopes had reached a fairly low ebb. So when these stories started coming through, um, I kind of had to restrain my hopes because I didn't want to be disappointed, but and the guys work wonders, you know, to, to bring back what he's done. It's the biggest find in 25 years. It's incredible. Yeah. It's amazing. there is there is some thought though as far as the economy is concerned and, and uh, you know how much the market will bear that people will do something uh when there is the potential for uh some type of windfall that 
um, makes me believe that uh, this particular find uh, might might make others consider the possibility of of beginning their own searches and and while while it is dangerous and it's interesting all these doctor who episodes are are in dangerous places uh you almost need the doctor to go and and hmm. land his tardis somewhere and <laughs> <laughs> in a dangerous place to find this stuff but i i really believe that um you know this this particular find shows that there is uh, value, huge amounts of value to uh, to these stories, and that but does that in itself make it harder then to find these other stories if they now have this perceived value mm, and they, they may not have yeah. had before. They, they may cost more, but there there may be some value in looking in the attic, even for these places. And and what if you know what if they find them and they demand uh, a certain amount of money for them? It might be. It it may push on people to start looking a little bit more. Um, well, this is yeah, this is an area we'll get into. Well, let's get into it now then, <clears throat> because one of the right that there were so many rumors, especially since the bleeding cool article, but mm-hmm. also prior to it about what this search was accomplishing and you know how it might ultimately turn out. And one of the things that's been said for a long time was that talking about it publicly was not only not going to help the situation, but also might potentially be damaging to the situation. And of course, there's two reasons for that. And one of which is what you've just brought up, Josh, which is that, for example, and this is, you know, not an example that I have been told about, that I believe is in any way real. This is just a completely hypothetical example. But imagine if Phil Morris, for working in a television station, had found, say, the nine episodes that he did, was about to take those episodes out of the television station and, uh, you know, put them on a boat back to the United Kingdom, when suddenly the people who own the television station walk into him, uh, tap him on the shoulder and say, well, hang on, we've just read on the internet that these episodes that you're about to take off our hands for nothing, or, you know, maybe for a small price or whatever, or but as part of the deal that he's there working with Tia on their own television archives, might actually be worth quite a lot of money. What do you think you're doing taking them off our hands for nothing? That could potentially be a very mm. tricky situation indeed for Phil Morris. Yeah. And I think I think that's one of the reasons why we've had to wait. Because while Phil Morris has been working <clears throat> in the rest of these countries, I think they've tried to keep this as hush-hush as possible just to make sure that this sort of situation didn't arise. And in fact, I think people like Steve Roberts and Paul Venezes have said in the last sort of year to two years, yes, Phil Morris is, uh, you know, making a search of these places, but no, do not expect to hear back from him until his search is complete. He's not going to hand anything over. We're not going to be making any announcements until such time as Morris's search is complete. And this would be an obvious reason why that would be the case. So... So with that in mind, and with these episodes that have been, and this goes back to your rumors discussion, mm, Jr. Mm. With that in mind, yeah. is this is this was this the right time? Um, in other words, to, does Philip Morris feel like he's exhausted um, most of his um, 
uh, searches in these areas. Um, and, wow. And, and it, does it mean that there might be other film canisters out there? Um, oh, well, what you're saying is, there is, is there anything more to find or is this it, or, essentially? Or, or has others been found and we don't know about them And yet? we just don't know. Yeah, that's what I... Yeah. Well, <clears throat> on the one hand, I would say the release of this information probably means that the search in dangerous places is complete. But that doesn't necessarily mean to say there aren't other avenues to explore, which might potentially take you back into those dangerous <coughs> countries, but not necessarily. Probably it means that anything they think they have to find in, say, for example, Africa, to generalize, they think they probably already have. It strikes me that they wouldn't have released these episodes unless they think every stone in Africa has now been turned. Yes. But, I mean, Stephen, do you have an opinion on that? No, I think you're right. Uh, I don't think this is, hey, by the way, Philip Morris is, I mean, he wasn't even in the country, apparently, when they announced this thing. They did a, a no. video of him um, talking about them. He was off elsewhere, and, saving the world. And to the best of my knowledge, hasn't been back in the country since, actually. No, no. I don't which, think I'll, which we'll come to later, actually. But, it, sorry, carry on. No, uh, um, yeah, and it's, it's um, and, and you have to think that somewhere the you know the obviously the search is is continuing on for instance the um the i've been doing a lot of research on on mostly factual research you know just touching on the rumors again i was hearing yeah. the rumors and i just was not believing them i needed proof and so i was digging really hard for some serious information on this um reading wiped looking at you know there's another website uh, that sort of chronicles i think mostly using the same documents that that uh, Richard Molesworth did and wiped and sort of tracking where these films could have been. You know, I needed to find out if it was possible for these rumors to exist before I even, you know, chose to believe them. Mm. And, you know, the, uh, from the looks of it, the, the episodes that were found in, in Joss, Nigeria, they said that it was a relay, a relay station, but at one time it was a, it was actually a television station. It was BP, BP TV in Joss, Nigeria, um, it, which, Bought a four-story package, uh, Abominable Snowman, Web of Fear, Fury from the Deep Wheel in Space, in 1974. It aired in late uh, November 74 through to February 75. And Web of Fear and Enemy of the World, apparently, by the looks of it, come from those. It was actually found at the very station that aired them. So what happened to Abominable Snowman, Web of Fear 3, and The Wheel in Space out of those? You know, there's another avenue to now go pursue, but that's, you know... I assume that that avenue has been closed or, you know, sufficiently closed to the to the satisfaction of Phil Morris that either he's possibly found them or found a, a good lead as to where they went after that, or they don't exist anymore. You know, mm. the, the doors closed on those. But those were apparently shipped from Hong Kong at some point. Uh, so they were bicycled from, from Hong Kong. And then... Um, the station that they found Tomb of the Cybermen at uh, in 1991 in Hong Kong, uh, ATV, I can't remember the name of that. It was Rediffusion Hong Kong Rediffusion. at the time. Yeah. yeah, that they moved to a new location in 2008. They were at that place, actually a, a place that Television International Enterprises back in the old days helped set up. Uh, they moved from that station in 2008. So if there was anything there... I'm sure that it would have popped up then when they were moving house or they would have thrown it away, but I don't think they would have thrown it away. So that's another avenue to have pursued all those years ago, you know. Was he on the hunt in Hong Kong when they moved house? And if he was, 
did he was he able to track those film cans down there? You know, it's but Hong Kong is obviously a much less volatile place than Josh Nigeria. But you know, that sort of hunt continues. But I exactly. imagine that that he's you know, you're right. Uh, I, you know, he's. I think he mentioned in that BBC Radio documentary, and I want to say 2011 or 2009. I can't remember when it was now. Um, about going into Zambia and opening up the big vault uh, doors, you know, almost like a Raiders of the Lost Ark thing, and then finding nothing in there, um, apart from the smell of overwhelming smell of mm. vinegar and ruined film cans. So he's gone to Zambia. You know, he's 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 been everywhere, but um, he's done Africa basically. He, I think yeah. is what we're saying here. Mm-hmm. It's certainly what it seems like to me. Yeah. Which obviously is not to say that other places in Africa won't necessarily turn up, but I would assume that insofar as he is aware, he's looked everywhere there is to look in Africa. Mm-hmm. And of course, here's another thing. Phil Morris, because he's working with Tia, he can only go to places where Tia can take him, which means that he's been working across Africa... And I do believe he's also been working in other places, possibly Hong Kong and maybe Singapore, because that's another one of the main countries that gets brought up in these conversations. Mm-hmm. But he can only look when Tia can take him there. He can't just hop from one country to another, you know, from one week to the next, following leads. He has to follow leads along a timeline mm-hmm. that his company and the work that his company is doing can permit. Not yeah, because for those be- not in the know, he doesn't. His main job isn't to go and find missing episodes. He helps countries or uh, in various territories to preserve their own um, archives, mm. uh, providing equipment to allow them to do that. And as a bit of a sideline, just happens to kind of drop into the conversation. Oh, by the way, have you got any exactly old British yeah. TV programs that mm-hmm. you perhaps don't want anymore? So it's not like he can say he could be in, say, Kenya and mm. say, oh, I've heard there might be something in Singapore. I'll get on the next tra- the next plane to Singapore and see what it is. He can't only go to Singapore when either he has enough free time to do so and under the auspices of his company as maybe an exploratory mission or unless somebody in Singapore were to contract Tia for him to go there so that's another reason why this search has taken you know four five six as many years as it has because it's been a very slow process Mm -hmm. so um you know some of the uh the rest of the rumors before the official announcement uh came out i mean we were all on the forums to a greater or lesser degree. We were all hearing some of the things that were being said. And let's not beat around the bush. I would say something like 90, 95% of the things that were said on the forums during that time were bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not beating around the bush. We heard so many things about what the BBC were apparently in possession of, about what they had been in possession of, but had found was useless and the film cans had dissolved to vinegar, about where the search was going to next, about what the next thing they thought they were going to find was, Mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff. And I think my well, favourite one was the one where a story had been returned to the BBC and then the BBC mistakenly destroyed it. It was Marco yes. Polo, yeah. 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 
Which oh yeah, appa- which apparently is yeah, which apparently is inevitably coming out in December now too. That's that, that's yes, the that's latest right, rumor. Yeah. I like yeah. how the rumors died for a, a couple weeks, but now they're back up again. And now Marco Polo's coming out in December. Everybody, mark that on well, your yeah. calendars. It's a thing. Well, I mean, the rumors is it isn't the biggest rumor of all that that you hear over and over and over again is that they've actually found ninety episodes. I mean, that, yes. that's it was yeah. it was always ninety nine zero. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. and actually, it turned out to be zero nine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we'll come to the rumors since the announcement in a minute. Let's right. do the rumors prior to the announcement, and and actually, well, there's a quote from Steve Roberts from the Rhubarbs Forum from just a few days ago that I, well, I'd like to read it out, and I think everything that was prior to the announcement. And probably everything since the announcement uh, relates back to what Steve Roberts says here. Somebody called Lee R. had said, given that they only announced Enemy and Web when Restoration was done and they were ready to be released, it's not beyond the bounds of possibility. More have been returned and are being worked on right now. It's equally as possible there isn't. And Steve Roberts' reply, which has been quoted in a lot of places, is thus... And your last sentence would be the correct one. The situation has not changed. No other episodes have been returned. None are being restored. We all hope that situation will change, but that's where we currently stand. And of course, a BBC spokesman said in the mirror as well, BBC Worldwide's goal this year was to lovingly restore and release the nine missing episodes that were returned to us by Phil Morris in time for fans to enjoy them alongside the 50th anniversary. We have not received any more lost episodes, although we remain hopeful that more Doctor Who treasures will be returned in the near future. Well, obviously a lot of two people are looking at those two quotes and other similar quotes that are coming out. Now... We have, or I have, spoken to one or two people, and I'm not going to betray any confidences by saying who, or saying what exactly they said, but everything I've heard, off the forums as it were, backs up those statements. The BBC have not, at any time, regardless of rumours about Fury from the Deep handing over, you know, being handed over and turning out to be six cans of vinegar, So, you know, Fury from the Deep is apparently lost forever, according to the rumours. And again, I'll say it, bullshit. The BBC have had nine episodes. That's all they have had. Everybody hopes that more will be forthcoming. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But nine episodes is all the BBC have had up to this point. Everything else that you've heard about anything else is rubbish. You know... Any rumours about Marco Polo coming in December? Rubbish. Any rumours about Power of the Daleks? You know, maybe from some old conversation from Annika Wills? Rubbish. Annika Wills herself has now said that all she was doing when she said she thought Power of the Daleks was coming in 2013 was repeating a rumour that had been told to her in the hope that it might be true. You know, I was told that the other day by somebody whose name I'm not going to repeat. So, all this that was prior to the announcement is rubbish so what we perhaps ought to discuss is what is the truth are there any more episodes that do exist that nobody knows about yet or are we actually in a situation where nine have been found that's all have been fa- that have been found and people are just hoping to find more i mean 
Uh, any of you three got an opinion on what I've just said before we move on? I I think that I mean Philip Morris has been nothing but optimistic uh, in whatever mm. he said since then, including in the you know the official uh, the official movie so to speak that was shown at the press launch. And of course, the interview in Doctor Who magazine as well, which that is too. massively important. Yeah. That too. Um, we we also learned a name that we didn't really know about, and that's that of Roy Robinson, who's the archivist. Uh, I was just about to bring him up afterwards. Yeah. For TA, sorry, Jay, I didn't mean to spoil No, your... that's okay. You go on. You go yeah, on. and he was quoted on the, the Casturbus podcast. Or the... Well, I have it here written down. There Do you, you go. Do you want to... Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Uh, he said, um, he said, I'll give you the whole piece. He said, he, he told this to Gareth Kavana on behalf of the Casterberus podcast. He said, my name is Roy Robinson. I'm the archives coordinator at TIEA. Uh, he said he was an old friend of Phil Morris's. That's how he got the job. He'd just retired, heard Phil Morris was setting something up. And when Phil Morris asked him to help out, that's what he did. He said, I organize anything that needs to be distributed out to Phil if he needs anything where he is. And I then arrange for anything to come back here that he's found whilst he's away. Once we get it back here, we then archive it and get it ready for distribution to whoever it needs to be distributed to. Uh, at which point, and this is the bit that you were about to bring up, Gareth Cavana said, how many items do you deal with? Are you talking hundreds, thousands? Roy Robinson's reply was as follows. At the moment, we have got hundreds, basically because at the moment we've been refurbing our premises. Not a chance we can distribute at the moment, but we're into reorganizing and getting ready for redistribution. And then uh, Gareth asked him, this is all stuff that's been found outside the UK and Roy Robinson confirms that it was outside the UK and also confirms that Phil Morris is currently out of the country and says, fingers crossed, we just don't know from one day to the next. And when he says that, he's referring to what might, what else might be coming back. But like you say, and I'm sure this is where you're going, Stephen, he talks about what they have in their possession at the moment and he describes it as... Hundreds, hundreds of presumably cans of films. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, possibly amongst the ba- possibly amongst the batch that were filmed that were sent back in uh, in 2011, as the the infamous shipping notice uh, mm. uh, led them led everyone to believe. Um, my my view before we before we go on, uh, you know, saying mm. oh, the, he, he's Phil Morris has hundreds of Doctor Who episodes. Well, no, a yeah, it could be yeah. film cans of anything. <laughs> And, it and, could, and I let's talk about that in a minute because I think it's important that we do that we do talk about that. But yes, you go on, and we'll come back to that. Yeah, uh, basically, I, I've been thinking of an analogy for this, and you know how people might be compelled to sort of jump the gun and, and try and track down Phil Morris's collection and go through these film cans himself uh, themselves. I look at it this this way: um, other people write. Uh, and produce new Doctor Who. We don't. We wait for it to show up on our screens and watch them. Um, other people, a you know, i.e., Phil Morris, uh, find Doctor Who episodes and wait to hand them over to the BBC when when he's assured that he that the product is done. Just like people who make new Doctor Who are done. They are more talented at their jobs than we are. We don't burst onto a, a Doctor Who film set and take over direction. We don't kick um, uh, Adam Smith out of the way or Nick Hearn and says, no, I've got this one. Uh, we let the professionals do it. Phil Morris is a professional. He's been doing this for almost 10 years. Um, I think as the leading up to the announcement of Enemy and Webb, 
I think the four of us and everyone else were like as giddy as schoolboys trying to, you know, wonder what was being found possibly and if anything was being found and how we could possibly find anything in, uh, you know, anything more. Uh, since then, I'm kind of content to say, you know what, the experts are on this. Um, let yeah. Philip Morris handle it. Uh, uh, you know, so we're we're not on this podcast to give you all ideas of how to go track these things down yourself. I think everything in, is in hand. Yeah, in fact, just to pause for a moment, you know, during the the whole rumor business, there were calls for Tom Spilsbury and Doctor Who magazine to undertake some kind of investigative journalism exercise on this whole thing and find out what was really going on. No, this is not Watergate. This is not somebody (laughs) trying to keep a secret from us. This is information that, once it's established, will come out in good time. It's about doing things the right way. Yeah, exactly. It's not about them keeping something from us. It's about them letting us know when they're ready to do so. If there is anything more and at this juncture not one of the four of us know that there's anything more and nobody at the bbc apparently and i believe them knows whether there's anything more and you know i think okay let's get to it i don't think phil morris himself probably knows whether there's anything more i think he's optimistic i think i think these cans that he's undoubtedly sent back because i don't think at this point there's any i don't think at this point there's any question that there are more cans Mm -hmm. but uh you know if there are hundreds of cans a they may or may not contain what it says on the tin b it may or may not say anything on the tin c even if it does contain what it says on the tin it may be that the contents of that tin are vinegar and d if there are hundreds of cans those are cans that have very very carefully got to be gone through by professionals not roy robinson some retired guy who's just looking after the premises you know just to make sure that everything's filed away as best he can professionals have got to go in and very slowly and very carefully go through those cans if they you know if they exist we're assuming they do determine what's in those cans determine whether what's in those cans is of a good enough condition that you know they can be transferred and made available so even if phil morris believes he's got more doctor who in those cans which i don't know whether he does but you have to assume given some of the positivity in his interviews he probably thinks there's more doctor who in those cans but can't be certain right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we have to wait at this point for professionals to go in and do a job. Now, even that in itself isn't quite as simple as it sounds because, you know, you and I might think, well, if I had 100 cans or 900 cans or however many, uh, I'd just phone up the BBC and ask them to come and take a look. But here's the thing. Phil Morris spends the majority of his time from what I can, uh, from what I can, from what I gather, out of the country. So he's not going to do that while he's out of the country. He's only going to do it while he's in the country. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, a lot of this stuff that's in these cans might not be, you know, inverted commas, BBC property anyway. 
So who do you get to come in and look through the cans? You have to be absolutely 100% certain that anybody who does come and look through those cans is going to do it in a professional manner and isn't going to, you know, in some way, and I use the term, uh, although I don't really mean this, but the, the, the people who come and look through those cans aren't going to in some way swindle you as well. Mm-hmm. Because if there's ITV material or maybe there's actually African material that needs repatriating back to Africa in some of those cans, it all has to be dealt with in as proper a manner as possible. Uh, over to you guys. What do you think yeah, of that? So um, from my perspective, JR, I think that if if I'm listening to this and I'm a fan and I'm hanging out in the forums, I, I think that there's a lot of reason for optimism. And, and, yes. and, and I, I think that we need to we need to kind of hold ourselves and understand that we've, we've gone way farther than we ever have with this. And there's, there are people who are out there. So I'm taking, I'm leveraging your point earlier about, Mm. about the professionals are handling this. The great news for us as Dr. Who fans is that there are professionals out there that are uh, dealing with it, that are dealing with it or making this work uh, in some way, shape or form and, and have, have, put some emphasis on this in their in their professional careers and absolutely and as a result we should all be thrilled at what we've received to date because i mean lord knows uh, we never thought we'd ever see these again and and go with the idea that yeah maybe there will be something in the future but right now just enjoy what we have and in the near future there might be something else and, yeah. and and that's not a feeling that I, I don't know about you guys, but that's not a feeling I ever had um, hmm. in the last 20 years. No. Well, I mean, after, uh, you know, that episode from the Dalek Master Plan turned up in, was it 2004? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everybody pretty much thought that was it, mm-hmm. didn't they? Yep. Just to go back to something you were saying just then, yes, professionals are looking into it and they're dealing with it and we should be, you know, fairly optimistic. And those professionals, you know, the people at the RT, the people at BBC or BBC Worldwide, Phil Morris, all three of those sort of distinct groups have all made positive, optimistic comments about what they think, not not the specifics of what they think may happen next, but the fact that something will happen next. So we can only assume that if we just let them get on with it, there will be not necessarily more Doctor Who, but more something forthcoming at some point. They care. I mean, yeah. so so I think that the the biggest thing that gives me optimism for the future, guys, is that they actually care about this, that, that it actually means something, and they want it. And it, it, in any endeavor, the, the most important thing, and the thing that, that actually achieves success is care, really. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, that brings me back to the other reason why it might be dangerous to talk publicly about this. And, of course, this is a bit of a dicey subject to go into, so I'll kind of do an analogy like Stephen did just a few (laughs) minutes ago. Right. If if there was a, let's call it a difficult negotiation, it may not be necessarily that it's difficult, and it may not necessarily be that it's a negotiation, but if there is a process taking place that involves different parties and that involves you know a certain level of not necessarily secrecy but a certain level of those parties keeping what's happening to themselves to allow that process to 
be undertaken, the last thing anyone from any one of those parties wants is for, you know, to be reading online, you know, secret things that are happening as part of that process that look like they've been leaked by one or other of those parties in order to put maybe the other party in a more difficult situation. I mean, not saying that this is a negotiation anymore, because I don't believe that it is a negotiation now. I think it's just a process now. But if it was a negotiation, if one of those members of that the parties that were undertaking that negotiation were to essentially read trade secrets being bandied about on internet forums, it might look like one of the other parties in that negotiation was bargaining their position and trying to make their position stronger and the person they're negotiating with's position weaker. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Talk on forums is almost like bandying about trade secrets in order to kind of give somebody in a certain side of the negotiations a better run at the negotiations than say the other parties and I'm I don't think I don't think that's actually the case I don't believe personally that that's actually the case I'm just saying that's how talk on forums can negatively affect a kind of a process that may be fairly similar to the process that we are now undertaking here uh, Not only talk on forums, but also I think I think most of like the public stuff, like on blogs and like bleeding cool. Yeah, blogs more than forums. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, stuff like bleeding cool. Yeah, very yeah. Because when you, I, I mean, when you think of it, on the forums, it's only twenty or thirty people basically banding back and forth at, uh, to one another, and there's a bunch of people looking at those forums. Like oddly enough, bleeding cool. Um, so it's, mm. it's once these things get into the public. I hope I hope this podcast isn't one of those because we're we're doing our best to try and explain the situation as best we know it. Yes, and we're trying to and we're trying to do it in as responsible a manner as we can. Yeah, I think what yes, and you know on that subject, you know one of the things about the whole bleeding cool and lots of other people who've posted in the meantime, they've posted rumor without any thought to how posting those rumors mm. itself might affect the things that they're posting rumors about. They've not thought about it, have they? No, they're just repeating. And, and you know, that's, mm. uh, I think, you know, um, in early, late October is when that, there's a huge thing about uh, about the Marco Polo amongst many, many other things. You know, uh, these these very uh, attractive DeviantArt uh, DVD covers that have been coming oh, yeah. out. You <laughs> yeah. know, Fury from the Deep and uh, Marco Polo, really well done, but entirely fake, you know. Um, and those things, those sorts of things sort of, you know, it's, it's fun stuff. I mean, kudos to the artists who actually made those, but it's not a portent of uh, an imminent no. announcement of new episodes. I think that's what people need to understand at this point. Uh, and I can't hammer this home, you know, hard enough. The BBC do not possess anything else. The rumors you've heard about, and there are five stories in the last three weeks that I've now heard rumored are going to be next. Marco Polo. Power of the Daleks, the Wheel in Space, uh, the Massacre, and the Macro Terror. None of those stories are next. The BBC do not have anything else. Mm -hmm. They can't organise for a story to be next that they don't possess. I mean, if more stories come back, it may turn out to be one of those stories, and one of those stories may then subsequently turn out to be next. But at this point, none of those stories are next. Uh, but JR, you haven't ruled out the possibility of a box set. <laughs> what? All of them in one box set. You never oh, yeah. said that. Oh yeah, I suppose that's right. All those five mm. stories in one box set. Yes. I think, you know, we're all fans, we're all desperate to see these stories come back, but 
you know, as we've said already, I think it's just a case of, you know, keep your powder dry. I try and put it to the back of my mind because, you know, if I think about it too much, I just, I'd go crazy. Um, so or get these giddy. Guys know, yeah, these guys know what they're doing. You just got to let them get on with their job. And if there is anything to find, I'm sure we'll get to see it. Absolutely. I mean, that's probably the most important in the whole of this. The most important statement is if there is or if there transpires to be anything else to be had, we will have it all in good time. That's right. That's right. And There's no reason why they should hold it back if they have it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's obvious that they, they would make money off of it. So, um. Yeah, I mean, I think patience is one of the most difficult things fans have, um, or don't have, and yeah. and and that's true for the new uh, who, and as well as as, as finding old. Uh, patience is very very difficult. And pa- um, patience, yeah. Sorry, Josh, go on. No, 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 no. no. I, all I was just gonna say is, you know, we we all just have to enjoy what we have, uh, and and. And think positively about the future, and I think that if if we if we all take that tact, which is a different tact that we've ever had, at least in my fandom, in regards to this this stuff, it, it's highly optimistic. So let's yeah let's let's take it one step at a time. We have we've just we've just walked through a door into an entirely new area of being a classic series Doctor Who fan, because for the last 20, 25, even 30 years, we've been living in a world in which we assumed that there'd be no more whole Doctor Who stories found, and probably not many more single episodes. We're now living in a world in which it's entirely possible that there may be whole new stories found. Exactly, exactly. It's a new universe for us, really, isn't totally, it? Totally, totally. And we should enjoy living in that universe rather than getting ourselves worked up over what may or may not be true, what may or may not be next. We should just let it happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, what and were you going to say, Stephen? One, oh, well, the sorry. one thing we can do and we have been doing um, is buying uh, The Web of Fear and Enemy of the World um, in record numbers on iTunes yeah. and, and probably <laughs> when the DVD comes out as well. That shows... BBC and the and BBC worldwide that this is most definitely a venture uh, worth supporting and funding and financing and uh, going through because there is such a market for this you know lost history that um, that people will lap this up uh, in whatever forms I, I'm pretty much confident that when the DVDs come out in November and February I think it is in the UK and who knows when in the North America that those will be lapped up as well. Uh, and that's that's our job basically as as fans is to buy this stuff um, and and show that it's worth looking for. Because this is for BBC worldwide. This is entirely new, unprecedented mm-hmm. area. And, and two things about that: one, the only time anything like this has ever happened was the Tomb of the Tomb of the Cybermen on VHS, and that was so long ago that you can't really sort of look at those figures and look at what happened then and think it really has too much bearing on what's going on now. So this is something new. They're finding their feet here. I mean, we've perhaps talked about the fact that Dan Hall doesn't appear to be involved, so it doesn't look like there are going to be any extras on these DVDs. And that's perhaps not entirely unexpected, given the secrecy of the way in which this whole process has had to uh, be undertaken so keeping it as simple as you can just the episodes on the discs okay that's fair enough but the other thing as well is the itunes release 
You know, when Tomb of the Cybermen was found, when that episode from the Dalek Master Plan was found, and, you know, especially when Airlock and the Underwater Menace Episode 2 were found, it was a case of, okay, we've told they've been found, now, drums, fingers, how long do I have to wait till I can actually see this stuff? They've made these nine episodes available immediately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, as soon as those episodes, you know, were possibly available to be downloaded... They organise for the press conference, they release the information, and the episodes are available to download immediately. That's not just BBC Worldwide looking to maximise maximize profits, although obviously that has a large bearing on it. But at the same point, by the same token, I think they've also looked at the, the market they're releasing them into and have said to themselves, look, these people want these things immediately okay, we can't give them the DVDs immediately because logistically that would be impossible. But by doing it on iTunes, if people don't want to download on iTunes, fair enough. The DVDs are going to be along. We've told people the DVDs are going to be along. We've not kept that a secret. But if people do want this stuff right here, right now, it's available. Well, well also, JR, if you, if you put it on iTunes, you can distribute it worldwide in minutes. Yeah. Yeah, mm. I mean, or even in minus minutes. Yeah, I mean, experience was anything to go <laughs> I mean, I mean, you have the and 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 again, I mean, you brought up Tomb. I mean, Tomb came out um, in nineteen ninety one, ninety two, when Doctor Who was at its lowest ebb um, in, mm, in popularity, yeah. and today it's it's sort of at the highest hill, uh, highest yeah. part of the uh, hill of popularity. So. Um, the difference in, in uh, not only the difference in technology, obviously, you know, uh, they couldn't distribute it worldwide in minutes like they can now, but also uh, the fact of the matter is Doctor Who is top of people's minds, not, you know, this old show that they used to watch back in the day. Mm. So it, it they definitely see the value. I mean, the value yeah. right now is, 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 is at its peak. I think it's Absolutely. great for fans outside the UK as well, because I don't know... Maybe you and Stephen might have more to say about it, but I can imagine certainly in the VHS days, you'd have to wait probably quite some time behind the release dates in the UK to get these sorts of programs. Whereas now, as you said, you get it instantly. Yeah, well, that that's true about just about everything with Doctor Who these days. Is that is mm -hmm. that here on the other side of the pond, uh, we get it. We get everything almost on par with you uh, in in the UK. And mm -hmm. we're we're desperately appreciative of that, um, and we're willing to put up the dollars. Believe me, uh, on our side, um, in in order to receive it uh, at, at a similar point. So, um, if they make money off of it, I'm perfectly perfectly happy with that. The more money they make, the better off we are. Yeah, it, it's a sign of sort of how um, cohesive uh, an international um, approach. That the BBC Worldwide is taking to Doctor Who now. It's you know the missing episodes being available on iTunes, you know more or less worldwide is is an indication of that. You know, uh, it, later in November we're going to be watching a live Doctor Who episode, you know, everywhere around the world at the same time, um, which would have never have happened in the olden days. You know, I think the BBC is sort of looks like they're sort of unifying their approach on Doctor Who and making it one giant entity for the world to enjoy um, as soon as possible, if not, you know, simultaneously. Um, because they know how, you know, how leaving out one market will, will annoy another and, 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 you know, animosity will, will 
will grow towards the whole thing and, and people will start to, to be annoyed. I imagine maybe some of the some of the there's a certain section of the fan population <laughs> in England, I imagine, who demand to have everything first, even if it's by a few hours. But uh but Well I'm still annoyed me. with Josh about the uh, the Comic Con trailer. I'm really yeah, that's right, that's yeah. right. Because personally Josh personally saw it. <clears throat> that, but you know this that's this right. whole thing about the simulcast is, you know, thanks to the World Wide Web and the way the world and the media have been going for the last 20 or 30 years. This is something the world was coming towards anyway, but it is so good to see Doctor Who right at the forefront of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's yeah. It's a leader. And, and, and I, don't, I don't think it's it, the BBC cares so much about the animosity as much as they care about the fact that they can immediately uh, get um, mm. uh, benefit uh, from it. The, the, the BBC... Uh, gets benefit from the fact that if, if the American audiences and the Canadian audiences and Australian audiences, not France, of course, not France, we, we don't, no. we, yeah. Um, <laughs> but if, if all of these audiences a- across the globe are, are, are consuming, uh, this material, then, then they get huge benefit from that. I mean, and no. simultaneously, they, they, they get their money quicker. So it it makes it makes absolutely the most sense for them to make uh, Doctor Who a a worldwide global brand versus you know just exporting it. Um, and of course, you know the result of this worldwide simulcast of the fiftieth anniversary is when series eight does turn up, that is going to create a whole lot more interest among a lot of people who wouldn't necessarily even have heard of, let alone be fans of Doctor Who prior to this global event that's taking place in three weeks. Yeah. And and back to the missing episodes too. I mean, Web and Enemy on, on iTunes were in the top five in their first week uh, on both US and Canadian iTunes. I think Canada was three and four, Web and Enemy respectively. And mm-hmm. I think, this, no, four and five, I think the States was three and four. Like, Seriously, forty-five-year-old Doctor Who episodes beating out Breaking Bad uh, in on iTunes in this country. <laughs> yeah, it's astounding. I mean, Breaking it Bad, the, the finale of which happened like maybe that week. You know, like this, it's something. It's I'm really glad that BBC Worldwide has tapped into this and allowing everyone to see this because they know that if if a worldwide demand for these missing episodes uh, is there, um, the 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 effort to go through them to find them again and to negotiate their return is more than worthwhile. Absolutely. Now, we've been talking for well over an hour now. I was going to sort of, I was expecting this to be about the halfway point of the podcast, but we've talked for so long and, you know, I don't think anybody's going to complain about that. I was going to talk about, and to an extent, this is a bit hypocritical given what a few a few of the things I've said slightly earlier in a podcast. I was going to look about numbers of episodes and going back to what I was saying about the paperwork running out, I was going to talk about what are perhaps the most likely things where copies have been struck of episodes that we don't know what happened to that Ooh. possibly is still out in the world. I've got theories uh, on that. This is exciting. Yeah, let's let's do this. Okay, let's perhaps not do this for another half an hour, as I thought we might earlier. <laughs> but let's go into this, shall we? I mean, the most obvious thing, the one that we have had most rumours about, obviously, is Marco Polo. There were, I'm looking at this now, ten prints struck of Marco Polo, of which... Oh, I, in fact, it looks like all ten prints... None of those 10 prints that were struck of Marco Polo have actually been proven to have been destroyed. Mm-hmm. 
So that's got to give you optimism that Marco Polo... So go on, Stephen. Use that as your launching off point to... Uh, <laughs> well, because I know you wanted to talk about this, so go ahead. Yeah, well, they, I mean, it's Marco Polo was um, amongst a batch of, of stories uh, that aired in a, in a station in Ethiopia in 1972, uh, which is the last known airing of, of anything of like Marco Polo. And I think actually that station bought serials A through R, as I recall, all the way up to The Chase. And um, that... They stopped airing them in 1972, and anything, anytime you get close to like you know around then, the sort of the the mid 70s, I think there's sort of some hope there, and I think that's the the whole Ethiopia thing is probably where the basis. I think the mirror, uh, the weekend before the actual announcement of Enemy and Web went went on to say all 106 episodes have been found in Ethiopia, which of course is just mangling up uh, you know a, a possible fact with many many different rumors. Um, yeah, but you know I think that. That might have been a, a place to search, um, and possibly came up uh, with with results. And this is might, this might be where the Marco Polo rumors come from, but also the Reign of Terror might be there. Um, <clears throat> I have a theory about uh, the Daleks' master plan, uh, and it is it is this: uh, it's everyone assumes that. Uh, the Feast of Stephen uh, was never actually made, uh, distributed to the international market, and it wasn't. And so, therefore, they said, well, no film copy was made of it. So when on August 17th, I think, 1967, when they wiped that and many other uh, videotapes, um, that was, uh, you know, that was it for that. It was gone forever. I don't think so. I think. Here's the thing. <laughs> and this might be a little bit of background here. Um Back in the the first, I think about 1966, I think the first two seasons of Doctor Who, the BBC made uh, what were called suppressed film, uh, suppressed field copies of these episodes. They basically the way they they uh, recorded the single the signal on film of the video uh, transmission, it would flicker a lot. So they basically had to remove every second line of of the the image to get it yeah. to not flicker. So there's basically a you know a 188 line version of of the each episode that they sent out. They were they were lesser quality, and at the end of season two, in about uh, late '66, they actually um, um, they put together a, a requisition order of every single master tape they had at that time. So it was basically all of uh, leading up into uh, the Smugglers, I think, Tenth uh, Planet, Power of the Docks. It was Power of the Daleks, sorry. And then after that, there was just recording new copies on transmission they requisitioned every single episode every single one they did not make a distinction of when of which episodes uh to to exclude so that possibly included the feast of stephen um and if you think that well they didn't send it to australia so it doesn't exist well if you look at it they were uh dalek's master plan was sent to australia in uh i think 1966 and it was rejected um it was never sent back to Australia. At least it wasn't in the big mass of shipment in 1975. Yet in the BBC obviously had uh, episodes of the Daleks Master Plan 3 and 4 in November of 73 when Blue Peter was, ma- was using clips of those um, to make uh, copies of it. And I think that episode 2, which was returned by a BBC um, uh, executive in 2004, he'd been holding on to it since 1972, and episodes 5 and 10, which were found in the, found in the Mormon church, in 1983, I think all those come from that um, batch of film cans that were made in late 66, early 67. 
and that were just sort of floating around the country. I have a sneaking suspicion that unless they were thrown out or burned or something like that, I think a good chunk of episodes wandered off from the BBC at that time. There's a distinct but remote possibility that the Feast of Stephen exists in somebody's basement in the UK because it never left the UK. That's my long-winded <laughs> theory on that, but it's based on, on fact that I hope it's possibly true. I don't have a basement, but I'm going to look in my basement right now. <laughs> Do it! <laughs> well, the, And the other thing about the Daleks' master plan is that was sent to Australia as well, wasn't it? It Even was. Even though the Australians didn't buy it. No. And I don't think anybody quite knows what happened to it then. There's no paperwork to suggest it was actually returned to the UK, is there? There isn't, Am no. I right about that? You are yes. right about that, because on June 4th, 75, the, the Australia, ABC in Australia sent back a huge amount of film cans uh, that were, most of which were destroyed, apart from um, the odd straggler, like, you know, the one like Evil of the Daleks, Web of Fear Part 1, the, the two most recent ones in 2011 that were found, most likely came from that shipment. And then, uh, and then they um, they all destroyed a whole bunch of others from series season three and season four in nineteen seventy six. But nothing actually showed up for for Mission to the Unknown or the eleven episodes of the Daleks Master Plan that they received uh, and rejected in nineteen sixty six. And I'm looking through now. I've got this thing up in front of me. This website, which is called, hang on, while I just quickly look at what it's called. It's called the Destruction of Time. If anybody wants to look at it, you can Google it. Where it says how many copies were struck of every story, uh, where those copies were sent, and what the paperwork says about where they ended up. Am I right in saying there's more chance of series one and two being found because they made more copies initially? Yes, yes. But the point I was about to make is, uh, for most of the Hartnells, there are about five copies struck of most of the stories. And for most of the Troutons, there are three or four copies struck of most of the stories. And in almost all cases, at least half of those copies that were struck are unaccounted for. Now, there are obviously theories about where those copies ended up physically and how those copies ended up physically. You know, they can say, well, this this um, print strike of this story probably ended up in such and such a country and they probably did destroy it. But nobody can say for absolutely certain. So for at least a good sort of two-thirds of the episodes that are still missing, there is a sort of three-in-five possibility that the episodes weren't destroyed when they were supposed to be. By which I'm saying, uh, you know, we were talking earlier on about being optimistic, and my point here is that we have a reason for that optimism because actually there are people on the case now and you know i don't think it's just phil morris i think because of what phil morris has done the bbc themselves have now sort of actively started looking into this whole area this whole subject in ways that they probably hadn't previously thought of you know we're talking about the bicycling system and relay stations Mm -hmm. and stuff like that you know prior to a few years ago nobody had looked into any of that stuff insofar as I'm aware, or not as deeply as they are now. So I think what I'm saying is, you know, even if Phil Morris hasn't found other stuff, I do believe that there's still a reason for optimism that there is other stuff out there and that people are now starting to look in the right places to find it. Not that I'm saying we should as lay people, but that we should, as we've said all throughout this entire episode, let the professionals get on with it 
and we can be reasonably optimistic i think that some kind of result will happen at the end of it yeah you look at you know some of the i mean back to my experiences uh, working at a tv station and trying to track down a tape for a company that no longer exists i mean um television international enterprises the original that distributed doctor who to mm. some places in in africa and the Caribbean and a couple other places, Middle East as well. <laughs> Oddly enough, fronts where um, David Sterling, the person who set it up, was running a mercenary company, was trying to uh, invoke change in the government at the same time as he was trying to sell the TV st- uh, station some Doctor Who and other shows. But So um, let's just repeat, this has got nothing to do with Philip Morris. Nothing at all. Absolutely <laughs> nothing clear. Nothing at all. <laughs> David Sterling died in 1987, I think it was. Um, but this company ceased trading in, was it 1974? It was 75, they merged with another company and eventually went out of business completely in 76. But, you know, right. um, f- for instance, I mean, this is this is me speculating, but it's it's based on real life experience. When, when a, you know, w- when if a station was sent to tape by Television International Enterprises and, organ- you know, went through TIE, right, TIE, we'll call them TIE, <laughs> um, uh, to facilitate the, the purchase of those. They're only dealing with uh, with Ty and not the BBC. So yeah. they, at the end of that contract, which often lasted five years, it would be probably able to air it once or twice. They would need to be sending these things back. And if they didn't deal with the BBC, they dealt with Ty, but they don't. They didn't exist anymore. So where would they send the tapes to, or the film cans? They would just sit on them. Like I at my place of work, I there are a few uh, videotapes that I have on my desk that uh, were sent to me before studios went bankrupt or folded or merged or something like that, I no longer have a return address for them because they no longer exist. So here they sit, you know. It's possible, maybe even likely, that a similar scenario exists at other stations around the world that are just waiting to, you know, we're just stuck in limbo trying to send these things back but never had a place to send them to. I don't suppose you've had a crafty look at work just to see if there's any sort of random film cans hanging around? <laughs> Not no. quite. At my at my old place of work, I used to work at another TV station uh, that actually aired the world premiere of uh, the Doctor Who TV movie in 1996. Uh, mm-hmm. That was the first thing I went, I did when I my first day of work because I wandered down to the tape library and, and there's a whole whole library full of one inch videotapes and sure enough there it was i peeled off the tape label and kept it for safekeeping that was the only thing <laughs> wow. it was bulk erased it was bulk erased about a year later i thought oh my god this is just what happened to doctor exactly no yeah. wow so shall we very quickly because we have been going on for so long now and i'm sure you've got things you've got to get on and do um, the stories that are still missing, I mean, should we all just nominate maybe one, maybe a couple or three stories that are the ones we'd most like to see, regardless of whether <laughs> they're likely to come back or not? Josh? Um, yeah, Power of the Daleks, uh, episode four of uh, of Tenth Planet. Uh, the, that's probably top of my list, but I'm, I've got a really weird one here. I really oh, want, on, then. I really want to see Fury from the Deep. That's not weird. Nothing weird about Not that. Not really. I don't think so. No. Because I go think on. I think Fury from the Deep is if we ever saw, had that in our hands, I think we would absolutely love that one. I think actually, Enemy of the. I'd always assumed that Fury from the Deep was pro. It was one of those that was quite lauded by fans, and I always thought, having seen things like Ice Warriors, probably if it did ever come back, it wouldn't live up to its reputation. But having seen the Enemy of the World, I'm now starting to suspect it might. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. that th- those are sort of my 
top of the right. And, I mean, Abominable Snowman is there, too, but, um, you know, just to put it together with Web of Fear. Now you're yeah, just getting yeah. greedy, Josh. Yeah, I know. Oh, no, we shouldn't limit all. ourselves. I, I, didn't, I didn't mean for us <laughs> to limit ourselves to a certain number. I'll take them I all. Meant... I don't care what yeah. they are. <laughs> but, Mark, go on, then. What, what do you think might be sort of towards the top of your list, then? High on my list, I agree with Josh. Power of the Daleks has got to be up there. And you mentioned earlier uh, Daleks Master Plan. Yeah. I've been watching the um, Loose Cannon recon of that over the last few days. And even from that, it's pretty impressive. So I'd love to see the real thing. And of course, now you can kind of superimpose onto your experience of watching a recon of Dalek's Master Plan how the actuality has shown us that Douglas Camfield realized the web of fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that would be very high on my list. Stephen? I don't think I have a list, to be honest. Um, there must be something there, though, that tugs at your sort of heartstrings, perhaps a little more than all the others. Well, I mean, all of them, uh, I suppose. <laughs> but I, I have to admit, I mean, just the, you know, as long as 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 we've been looking into these this this whole story over the past long while. I never really allowed myself to even imagine, you know, oh my god, we're going to see this story soon or this story's going to come out soon and 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 I it, it's I think it's better for my sanity to sort of keep focused <laughs> and just sort of be based in realism and and watch and enjoy something that I wouldn't have expected to ever see and not yeah. wish for anything more. I what watched Enemy out. of the World. Uh, I was I watched <laughs> Enemy of the World and was amazed uh, at something that I had never even given much thought to, mostly based on fan convention and a, and a possibly dodgy recon, you know, and it, it was wonderful. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll poo-poo the space pirates. What if it comes back and it's brilliant, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but if, if you're going to make me choose one, it's got to be Dalek's Master Plan because it's directed by Douglas Canfield, and mm-hmm. he the three episodes that we see are impeccable. Um, and to see certainly episode 12 of the Alex Master Plan with the time destructor wreaking yes. havoc, yeah. and, yes. you know, would, would be something. And, and none of the John Wiles stuff exists in Telesnap form either. So it's, that's another, you know, we have absolutely no visual record of that or the space pirates for that matter. So. Yeah. That was a bit of a long winded answer to actually get nowhere, but, uh, we'll go with <laughs> Dalek Master Plan. No, that's okay. Mark knows what I'm going to say, don't you, Mark? Galaxy 4. <laughs> I've always had a soft spot for the sort of mid to late period historicals. So, you know, if any of those should turn up, the Massacre, the Mythmakers, the mm-hmm. Highlanders, if any of those should turn up, that would just be lovely as far as I'm concerned. But I'll, speaking of which... I'll, I'll take oh, anything. Oh, go on, sorry. I'll take anything. Yeah. Ma- oh, Macro Terra, part one, part oh. four. I'll take anything. Oh, I think Macro Terra is pro. You know, if we ever do get a chance to see it, I think it's probably going to be wonderful. Yeah, I think it is too. There's a couple of things I forgot. Shall we? Does that, do we all have time? Is that okay? I don't have very much time left. Okay, we'll do this really quickly then. Uh, in early December, there's another Missing Believe Wipe event at which they are going to. Um, they're going to exhibit an episode of Doctor Who that was previously lost, has recently been found, and is not on DVD yet. There are all sorts of rumours that it's going to be Marco Polo or something like that. It is not going to be Marco Polo. It's no. going to be something that the restoration team have worked on and that the BBC possess. 
Even if the BBC came into possession of Marco Polo now, it wouldn't be ready in time. It is almost certainly going to be an episode of The Web of Fear. My suspicion, probably episode four. Possibly even uh, a fully restored underwater menace. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Also still not on DVD. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, uh, the stories that have or have not been animated that are now not missing many episodes, The Crusade, The Underwater Menace, and of course The Web of Fear. I don't think The Web of Fear is going to be animated for a DVD release nope. in February. Uh, I suspect it will probably just be the um, reconstruction as was put out on iTunes. Yeah, the reconstruction is uh, not that bad, actually. No, compared, pretty compared, good. Compared to others, that re- yeah. reconstruction is pretty darn good. Yeah, so I don't think we should be expecting you know anything that we don't know about yet for the Web of Fear in February, certainly. You know, we're going to cross our fingers and hope that the third episode turns up at some point in the future. But there's been sort of all sorts of rumours. Oh, it was in worse condition. They're still getting it ready. It'll be on the DVD. Oh, it was in such bad condition. They've had to bin it. All this kind of stuff. All of which is cobblers. Uh, You know, the web of fear came back. Just five episodes. And that's what we're going to get in February. And I'm I'm fine with that. (laughs) I am too. And I actually prefer the the photo telesnap recons to the animation anyway. So, Oh, do you? Me too. Me too. I'm with and you of course, on that, Stephen. Yeah. Oh, of course, Josh, you do have to go quite soon. So very, very briefly then, The Underwater Menace, uh, because it's long been suspected that that will be animated, and some people think, okay, they're not going to animate it now because they're getting the episodes back. Well, of course, they're not necessarily getting the episodes back. We have no idea whether they're going to get the episodes back. So uh, we should imagine that whatever plans were in place for The Underwater Menace prior to this announcement are still in place now whether or not that actually means animation because at this point i wouldn't definitively like to say uh but okay that's maybe a subject for another podcast we'll knock it on the head so josh can get off he's got somewhere to be Uh and we have been talking for a long time is there anything else that anybody thinks we've missed that we should bring up very quickly just another huge thank you to philip morris phil morris yeah, yeah absolutely I mean, that man, he is responsible for giving fandom something that fandom never imagined it would ever get to see. And I don't think we can salute that man strongly enough, for want of a better expression. <laughs> no, not Sir at all. Philip Morris. Yeah. <laughs> not at all. I think if Doctor Who fans had any say in it, he'd definitely be getting knighted. Well, in that case, uh, thank you uh, to Stephen and Josh for joining us. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you. Thank you very yeah. much. This has been, uh, well, an exceptional episode of the podcast, and I hope people enjoy listening to it as much as I have, and I hope Mark has, in hosting it. Uh, but until next time, I was JR. I was Mark. I was Josh. And I was Stephen. And we will speak again soon. Huzzah!